We had a, a great uh, time this weekend. Um, the elders of this church have, were able to get away for not a long period of time. It was about 16 or 17 hours in total, and some of those were spent sleeping. Um, but it was still, we, we, we just traveled down to the Hearth House FCAP uh, headquarters down there in, in South Fayette County and, and uh, had some time away. And we felt like we got away and we and uh, had some really good time to pray together. One of the things that we did right at the beginning of the retreat was to just look back, look over our shoulder at, at the past year and, 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 and identify ways in which we've seen God's spirit at work in this body and 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 how we've seen his grace and kindness evidenced um, in this last year. And we, we we shared of those those ways in our own personal lives and, and we shared as a church just how we've seen God at work and how his grace has been at work in this body. And there there must have been some mold or dust in that little house because uh, there were Kleenexes that were needed early on in uh, this time. Uh, but we did. We we just we wept with gratitude for for what God has done over the last year in this body. This has been, I've said this before, and I know it's kind of it's redundant to say it, but a year like no other in the history of this church, and in in really great and sweet and wonderful ways, and then in very hard ways. That um, we began the year with this with the the, the beginning this long range planning effort, like our church has never really been a part of before the vision 2020 and 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 we've had church-wide involvement in this effort and many of you have been involved through the surveys through working groups and and we're getting really close to being able to present kind of that complete plan to you in just a few weeks and so we're excited about that and thinking back over that there's also been a great sin and broken trust in the in the church, and, and and I know it's easy to think that the dust has settled, and and in some ways it has, but the grief is still fresh for many folks in a lot of really pointed ways, and and so um, I, I I just just we we we're mindful of that, and so through the excitement of the good stuff, and through the sorrow of the hard stuff, yet we've seen we've seen God's tremendous and constant faithful care and mercy. And I know you have in your own life, and no matter what's what's gone on, and, and you have your own story. We looked at Philippians this last weekend and just read through it together, and uh, one chapter in each of our little meeting sessions that we had. And, and you have these themes that come out in Philippians that just fit well of unity of the church and and joy in the midst of suffering, thankfulness to God, and and so those flavored our conversations this. Weekend, just God speaking to us through that letter of Philippians. I'm glad Pat read passage just a moment ago. And, and so we have much to be thankful for. I am thankful for this church. I'm thankful for you. And, and, um, I'm thankful for your love that you demonstrate for one another. All the phone calls that happen, all the texts that you send one another and notes that you write and leave in boxes and visits that you make when people are sick and meals that you prepare and, and deliver to folks. I mean, just there's countless ways in which you demonstrate love for one another in this body in ways I'll never even know. But God knows. I'm thankful for your love for the scriptures. And you're studying, reading and meditating upon God's word, being changed by it. I'm thankful for your devotion to prayer. And, and I, I'm just, we have folks that just really 
labor hard and interceding for others. And I'm thankful for your consistent witness and wherever you live in your community, in, in, in this community, in, in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, in your schools. I'm thankful for generous giving and thankful for the joy that you demonstrate in the midst of trials. I'm thankful for service and this body and the ways that countless folks that serve in, in many times unseen ways. And in our community, I'm thankful for your commitment to see the gospel go out to the nations and supporting and helping in that work. And so I'm truly grateful for this body, this family. Um, and not just to be one of the pastors, but just to be part of it. I mean, I, I, I was thinking as we were meeting this weekend that, that I've been at this church far longer than I've been at any other church in my life. And two-thirds, almost two-thirds of my spiritual journey from the time I accepted Christ has been in this body. And so I'm deeply connected and thankful for you. And God could have led me to any number of churches, but in His kindness, He's, he's brought us, me, my family here, and I'm thankful. So let's hug and, and we'll move on. Um, so I say all that, and, and that, but I'm mindful. There's another church in, in Scripture that had all kinds of great things going for it. It was a great church. It would have been one that we would have looked at and think, man, that's the kind of church I want to be at. I want my family, I want my kids raised in a church like that. But in the Lord's grade book, beside the name of this church, there's a big red F. It missed it. It missed the mark. Um, you, you know the church. It's in Revelation 2, church at Ephesus. And Jesus is writing a letter to this church and commending them for so many things. that Their good deeds, their hard work, their patient endurance, their holiness, their commitment, doggy commitment for the truth, their, their boldness, their strength in the midst of trials. All kinds of great things, admirable things, commendable things that we want to be true of our own church. And yet he, he says, but... I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. He says, remember, therefore, from where you have fallen and repent. Repent. There's, just to illustrate, I think, kind of what we're getting at and where I'm going at. And I, let me just time out real quick. We're obviously not in John chapter 4 this morning. Well, maybe that's obvious, but it's in the bulletin. And we're, we're taking a little break from John just with uh, all that's going on. Conference next week, and we'll be unrolling the Vision 2020. So we're going to do some different things over the next few weeks. But, um, but back, all right, un, timeout's over. Okay, back in the back in the game here. There's there's shows on TV. I've, I've seen a few episodes of these dream cruises. Now, we've never been on a cruise yet, and... I don't know if my stomach wants to go on a cruise, and I know some of you that are diehard cruisers, you say, it's fine, don't worry about it. Um, but there's these cruise ships today, some of these massive cruise ships, like floating cities. There's so many things to see, and so many things to do, and so much to eat, and, and just these magnificent ships, and beautiful, beautifully designed, and amazing engineering and and just state-of-the-art technology that goes into these ships. But if you could imagine that that big, beautiful cruise ship being tugged out of port and brought out into open waters and, and, and let go without an engine. Um, they, they, they spared no expense. The ship has everything except power. So, so eventually what's going to happen? It's going to, it's going to eventually drift towards shore and it's going to be shipwrecked. 
And now all those deluxe accommodations, all the fancy food, all of the the entertainment options that are there, it's all worthless. It will mean nothing. It's just going to end up as a fish habitat in the bottom of the ocean. Well, as a church, all of our, all of our good deeds, all of the, the stuff, all the cool transitions and ways to start songs and stuff. Man, that's happened to me so many times. <laughs> Leading music over the years. I, I'm the one that I'm starting. I'm like, I have no idea how this song goes. I mean, but you can have all the stuff. You can have everything just streamlined and slick and, and all the programs, all the good deeds, all the hard work. And if it's not engine, if, if it's not energized by the engine room of the Christian life, then it's for nothing. Another analogy, just take a, a wheel. I don't have a wheel up here, but you can picture a wheel. Um, if the hub of a wheel is just slightly off center, it makes for an awful ride. It's just bumpy and it's 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 difficult. And or take up if you have any artists, the Potter's wheel. You, many of you maybe took an art class in high school, and there's a reason you just took one art class in high school because you're not any good. You're like me. But you have a Potter's wheel, and you got You've got to center that clay on that wheel. If it's off center just a little bit, it's going to make a mess. Well, if, if we fasten ourselves to something other than the true center of the church, it's going to be a mess. We're going to become, say, eccentric. Eccentric. That's a, kind of comes from a Greek word. Ek, out, out of, centric, center. We're going to be out of center, off center. There's a constant danger in the church of becoming off center. So, what is then the, the center, the core of the church, of the Christian life? What is it that's at the core? Well, in 2 Corinthians 11, that's where we're at this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'll read through the text in a moment. 2 Corinthians 11, in an almost accidental way, Paul puts his finger right on the very nucleus of the church. This is what it's about, of the Christian life. He mentions it almost in passing. He's dealing with a problem in the church at Corinth. And there were any number of problems that... Could be dealt with in the church at Corinth. But he, he puts his finger on this. And he makes it very plain. Verse 3. 2 Corinthians 11. Look there with me. He says. But I am afraid. That as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. Your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So I ask. What's, what's the core? What's the center of the Christian life of the church? More accurately, it's probably who is at the center of the church. And it's a person. It's Christ. Christ is the center. He's the head of the body. He's the chief shepherd of the flock. He's the cornerstone of the building. He's, he's the center. And so for us to stay centric, we must stay devoted to Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's exhorting and warning the Corinthians about. We know we know it's the center because it's the very thing that the devil wants to draw us away from. He's not interested in secondary matters. He doesn't care about music transitions and chair colors and, and paint and those kinds of things. He doesn't care about those things. But he does care about the heart and soul of it all. And what is it? It's a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's what he wants to draw us away from. And you might use paint colors and chairs and that kind of stuff. 
But what what he wants is to pull us away from that. Literally, simplicity and purity toward Christ. Simplicity, sincerity, has the idea of singleness, uh, opposite of of duplicity, unshared devotion. That's sincerity. and, And pure devotion, unmixed, undiluted, unalloyed, just pure devotion to Christ. A centric church is sincerely and purely devoted to Christ and Christ alone. That's what we want to be. That's the center. That's the hub. Everything else flows. Everything else that happens should flow from that one great reality of our love for Jesus Christ. Because He's loved us. And so let's see how this truth grows out of this passage. Now, real quick, just the, some context. We're jumping into 2 Corinthians. We've been in John. But in, 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 the, in the Corinthian church, in this fellowship, you had these believers that, that I think bore many similarities to Christians, many Christians in America today. They thought very well of themselves. They, they, they tried hard to fit in, to be well liked by the culture around them. They wanted to blend their, this, this, their faith with, with, um, and they wanted to blend that with kind of some modern flair. They, they prided themselves on their open mindedness. And this is the Corinthian culture which was reflected in the Corinthian church. And Paul deals with some of these things. And so into that church environment, there were some false teachers who moved. Paul was gone. They moved in. And these guys came into town and they boasted of their religious prestige. They wore their nice fitted pinstripe suits and 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 had their entourage around them. They 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 bragged about their exotic spiritual experiences. They they gloated about their unique perspectives on doctrine and insights that they brought that nobody else could see or know. And so these Corinthians they 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 became exploited by these phonies, these phonies who Paul will say they they preached a different Jesus different spirit, a different gospel. And and so this is no small problem. I mean, this is this is authentic Christianity on the line here in Corinth. But the Corinthians, they can't see it. They're dazzled by by these charlatans. So what is Paul going to do? He's not one to to make much of himself to stand in the spotlight. But in this case, the Corinthians' faithfulness to Christ in in large part is dependent upon their respect for Paul and his message. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. So he has to regain their loyalty. And so how does he do this? Well, reluctantly, Paul matches the boasting of these false teachers with some sort of boasting of his own. And he puts his, he's basically putting his resume alongside theirs for the Corinthians to see. And that's what's going on in chapters 11 and 12 of 2 Corinthians here. So look down in chapter 12, verse 11. He says, I have been a fool. He's saying by boasting, by, by talking this way, I've been a fool, but you forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you. So he's saying, you, you, should, you should see through this. These so-called super apostles, he's going to go on to say. I should, you, should, you should recognize this. Recognize me for who I am. This is foolish to have to boast like this. So back in chapter 11, this helps us understand verse 1. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians 11. 
Paul says, I wish that you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me. So Paul's embarrassed. He's kind of blushing. This is awkward to talk like this. But I have to. And so then in verses 2 to 4, where we're going to focus this morning, he, he gives us the reason for this foolishness. Why does he have to boast like this? What would compel Paul to take these radical measures in, a, in making this appeal to these believers? What's this assault on the very core of the church? Sincere and pure devotion to Christ. That's why he has to do it. Now, before we walk through the text and, and the outline that's given, I just I want to read um, a paraphrase of these verses. This is from the message, and the message is a paraphrase. It's not it's not scripture as we as we have recorded for us. It's not a literal translation of the Bible. It's highly interpretive, and sometimes that can be very helpful, and sometimes that can be very unhelpful. But I think I think this is a helpful to get us thinking what Paul is saying here. So just listen. This is from the message. Will you put up with a little foolish aside from me? Please, just for a moment. The thing that has me so upset is that I care about you so much. This is is the passion of God burning inside me. I promised your hand in marriage to Christ, presented you as a pure virgin to her husband, and now I'm afraid that exactly as the snake seduced Eve with this smooth patter, You are being lured away from the simple purity of your love for Christ. It seems that if someone shows up preaching quite another Jesus than we preached, a different spirit, a different message, you put up with him quite nicely. Alright, so our devotion to Christ is the center of it all. So what are we going to learn about that? First thing I would say is that our devotion to Christ is, is a chief concern for the church. It's a chief concern for the church. Paul says, I feel jealousy for you. I, I am afraid for you. These are, these are words showing deep concern. This word jealousy, it has a range of meaning. It could mean to covet or it could mean in a, some kind of sinful way or, or just this great concern. So in the context, later part of verse 2, Paul's, Paul says that he betrothed the Corinthian believers to Christ. So he's kind of like their spiritual father. And so as he sees these smooth-talking, theological playboys that have kind of come into town, he's, he's, they're, they're encroaching upon his daughter. He's, he's, he has tremendous concern. He's jealous for her. He doesn't want anybody to, 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 to move in on her and hurt her. So his jealousy isn't, it's not about wounded pride. It's not about envy of these other guys are getting more attention. It's not turf wars here. It's, it's motivated by love. It's a steep concern, jealousy for them. And he's afraid for them. Phobos, we know that word, phobia. He has this, what I would call, strayophobia. He's afraid that they're going to stray in this pure and simple devotion to Christ. It weighs on this, the Apostle Paul. We have, some of you, maybe, this is a fear of yours, the fear of losing things. Maybe there are people that are just really afraid of losing their wedding band. Or you go to park at the airport and you're afraid you're never going to find your car again and this keeps you up at night. And Or lose a child, or well, I hope we're all a little bit afraid of that. But um, but do you have, do you have a healthy... Strayophobia 
as you think about the church? Do you, do you fear for your brothers and sisters in Christ in this kind of way? Do you, is, is their devotion to Christ and keeping that center, central in their life, is that a great concern of yours? It should be. This, is a, this should be a chief concern for us as we look and, and relate to one another. Each and every person here has a great responsibility toward one another. As we were away this weekend, I mean, we feel that as shepherds of this flock and and in hard times, especially, we, we, we have, we know this great responsibility to protect the flock, to keep this church centric, to keep individual members of this body centered, not straying from that devotion to Christ. What is, what is your attitude, though, when sheep do stray off center? What do, what is, what, how do you tend to respond? Do you kind of get annoyed by them? How pathetic. Do you, do, you, do you show disgust, embarrassment by them? Pity for them? Good riddance? Just move out of the way then. Anger? Or just apathy? Eh, whatever. It's their life. We, we can't yawn. We see brothers and sisters in Christ becoming off-center. This should be a great concern. We should feel great concern. This jealousy for one another. We should be afraid that lest any of us stray off center. We, we, need to, we need to keep this in mind. We need a holy jealousy for our brothers and sisters in Christ. My devotion to Christ is your concern. And your devotion to Christ is my concern. It not affect how we pray, how we talk, what we talk about, how we engage with one another, how we labor side by side, how we plan the next weekend that we're going to be here because this matters. And so, so Paul says, I, I feel jealousy. I feel, he says, a divine jealous, jealousy for you. A, the jealousy of God. That's what a literal translation. So we need to be passionate about one another staying on center because God is passionate about us staying centric as a church. And that's the second thing that we'll see about our devotion to Christ. Our devotion to Christ is of great importance to God. He calls it a divine jealousy that he has. And so he's bringing God into this. God is a jealous God. He always has been, always will be. He, we see it in the second commandment in Exodus chapter 20, verse 4 and 5. There, the commandment that there will be no idols. And so what does he say of himself? I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Now in Exodus 34, 14, the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. God jealously loves us the way a man loves his bride. He's, he's, he, 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 will, he, will, he must have her exclusively. What kind of what kind of man would would share his bride with other men? That's disgusting. Because he loves her, he wants her alone. He wants her to love him only and for himself to, to be the only one who loves her like that. He doesn't say, well, because I love my wife, she's free to form whatever bonds she wants with other men. Who am I to 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 demand some kind of exclusive love, her, her exclusive love. That's, that's sick. God loves us with this exclusive, loyal, marital kind of love. 
That's the language used of Scripture. He will not share our devotion with another. This is the heartbeat of God throughout Scripture. This is why in the Old Testament that it's idolatry that is the sin that God continues to confront with His people Israel. It just always comes back to idolatry, idolatry, idolatry. That's the core problem. But those, those warnings aren't limited to the Old Testament. We have the Apostle John giving this fatherly admonition to, the, to, to these brothers and sisters in Christ. And he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Because at the core of the church, at the core of Christian life, is this simple, sincere, unmixed, undiluted devotion to Jesus Christ. Keep yourself from idols. Those don't just come in the form of wooden images and pictures on the wall. They, there's idols of the heart. Things that we want that if we don't have them, we get angry about. Things that, that, that we won't be happy if we can't get them. There's all kinds of idols that we can see in our heart. They could be any number of things. But this is, the, this is love beating in Pastor Paul's heart. This Corinthian church, when he writes this, I feel it's divine jealousy for you. And then he goes on, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. That's the third thing that we'll see about our devotion to Christ. That our, our devotion to Christ flows and grows from our union with Him. It's because we've been joined to Him. That we're to be devoted to Him in this sincere, pure way. So when Paul led these people to faith in Christ, it's as if Paul was playing the matchmaker. So you just think Fiddler on the Roof. That's what I think. Matchmaker, matchmaker. All right, I'm not going to sing. I'm not going to dance. Uh, but that's a great musical. Um, so, so Paul has played matchmaker. He's betrothed them to Christ. There, and, and, and we know about betrothal. We, we know about it because we talk about it at Christmas time, don't we? Joseph and Mary betrothed to one another. And so betrothal, it's that mutual promise. It's that contract for a future marriage. It's, it's different than our modern engagement period that we have in our day. It's much more serious. There were vows exchanged. There were oaths that were made. And so it's, it was technically part of the marriage process. This marriage process could last up to a year. And so it was part of that, the betrothal period. During that year, they were known as husband and wife. And yet the marriage was not yet consummated. That was withheld till the final ceremony. And so, but this was serious. Infidelity during the time of betrothal was considered to be adultery. To change your mind after betrothal was very serious. It can only... You can only back out if the if the man wrote some kind of certificate of divorce to the woman. So it was very serious. So Paul uses this common Hebrew custom, this picture of betrothal, and he gives us a picture of the relationship that he had to the Corinthians and that the the relationship that the Corinthians had to Christ. Does that betroth you to Christ? As their spiritual father, he pledged them to Christ. They were waiting the, the, the marriage of the Lamb. That's, that's, a, that's how they're living, though. So he's deeply concerned. They remain pure and faithful during this betrothal period. That they not, they not commit spiritual adultery with these false teachers that have come into town. And it's out of that union, out of that betrothal, that close 
inseparable bond that, that Paul says that's where the devotion comes from. That's why it, that's why it matters. I just I know that betrothal is more than engagement, but I can't help but think I think it helps us to to make some connections. But being we Brooke and I were engaged um, in college, we got I proposed to her on June seventeenth, nineteen ninety seven. Please get that right date right, Justin. Uh, did I? <laughs> okay, just nod and smile. Yeah, correct me later. Um, we were married on December 13th, 1997, so 18, we're going on our 19th year now. But that 179 days of waiting was sweet agony. <laughs> um, you have this growing anticipation of being united as husband and wife and to be able to be married to this beautiful, godly young lady. And, and, and I was not going to mess that up. <laughs> I wanted to remain pure until marriage. I wanted, and, and, and as we, as we were engaged, as we, we were committed to one another to be married, I, my devotion for her grew during that time, and hers for me. Because we knew we were going to be married, we knew we would spend the rest of our lives together, so that, that devotion grows, that closeness grows, and, and, and in a much greater way. Paul, Paul is saying that our unique union with Jesus Christ, we've been joined to Him, and, I, and we're identified with Him. That should cause our devotion in Him to grow, always be growing. And so, I, maybe I should ask, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Have you been joined to Him? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Have you put your, your the hope of of, of being with God for eternity is, is in what He alone has done by dying in your place and rising from the dead. Have you believed in Him? Identified with Him? If you have, then it's out of that union that you have with Christ that you, you love Him more and more and more and more. And so, even as we were singing, Christ alone my hope is found. This is why we sing these songs that talk about what God has done for us in Christ and our and this identity that we have, that we're His and He's ours. We're going to continue to sing those things but it's because it's that that stirs in us and, and it's from that that grows our devotion to Jesus Christ in all kinds of practical ways. We can't separate the Christian life from our Christian identity in Jesus Christ. Paul's reminding them of this. That all sounds great, doesn't it? And we could just end right there. But there's a problem. There's a problem. And the problem is that the devil is a spiritual home wrecker. He wants nothing more than to break that relationship, to cause a rift in that relationship, to lead us into spiritual adultery during this period of betrothal. So this fourth thing about our devotion to Christ, it's in the crosshairs of the devil. He'll tempt us as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning. And so Paul compares the wooing of these false teachers in Corinth to the scheming of the devil himself and the tempting of Eve in the garden. So it's the same method employed. In, so he uses that little particle, as, just as, the, just as the serpent deceived Eve. This is what Paul fears. How did the devil deceive Eve? Well, he lied. He lied to get her to doubt God's word. He twisted the commands of God to 
to, to, to make life seem unfair, make them seem unfair. And Eve bought the lie and she ate the fruit. What the snake told her, appealed to her, it seemed to make sense. And so she, she took the bait, as did Adam. And so how does that compare with the Corinthian situation? Well, these con artists, they ride into town, they preach this different gospel, he says, they, a different Jesus, a different spirit, they're, they're liars. They deceive, they, they deny God's word, they deny the apostles' teaching, they, they twist the scriptures to say something, say something else. They're slick, they're cunning. That's, that's the word, cunning, crafty, trickery, that's the idea of that word. And so they promote this knockoff Gospel, this counterfeit gospel, this religion that's about performance. And that's if you look through Second Corinthians, you'll see that it's all about externals. This is what Paul was dealing with there. It's changing behavior. It's 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 appearance. And and yet the simple gospel is that we can be saved from the wrath of God by faith alone in Christ who died and rose again. Paul's wants them not to stray from that. Don't, don't be moved away from that by these. These frauds, they wanted to corrupt it. They wanted to make it more complex. So the point is that the devil is real. And and he wants nothing but to draw believers, you and me, away from a sincere and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. And that's his aim. And we we need to resist him. We need to be on guard, be vigilant, constantly patrolling our thoughts, lest we begin to believe his lies. That brings us to the fifth thing. This is where this is where the battle is. Our devotion to Christ begins in the brain. Begins in the brain. He says, "I'm afraid that your thoughts will be led astray. Your thoughts, your minds. That's the that's the battlefield on which the enemy attacks us. It's our it's our minds. Corinth, these hipster Christians, they were." Very proud of the fact that they they had this this kind of large minded worldview. They, they had little discernment, eager to entertain all kinds of different doctrines and the latest fads. They would they would they would reason. Let's let's hear these guys out. Let's just see what they have to say. Maybe they have something to add, something to contribute. Paul has his part. Maybe they have their part to play. So this is it. They're, they're, this kind of broad mind. This is how the enemy works and how he works his trickery. There's other ways in which the, the devil employs tactics to, to lead us astray in our minds. And sometimes it comes when there's trials in our lives. And when suffering comes, we, we have to have the peace of God to guard our minds lest they become just factories for fear and worry and panic. Paul deals with this in Philippians and Philippians chapter 4, verse 5 to 7 there. He says, The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's a war for the mind. We've got to, we need God's peace to guard us. So to remain devoted to Christ, you have to guard your thoughts. Don't let your mind wander away from the simplicity and purity of devotion to Jesus Christ. Be spiritually scatterbrained. 
But why do we have to keep our minds in check? And this is the last thing. Is it's, And we've said this already, and so we'll be brief. But our devotion to Christ will be tested. It will be tested. There will be pretenders who will entice us. Verse 4. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one that we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit than the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. So the Corinthians, they, they put up, they put up readily with this nonsense. They, they, some of your translations may say they, they bore it beautifully. Paul's employing a little sarcasm here with the Corinthians. That he's saying that you have this high tolerance for false teachers and false teaching. You, you bear it beautifully. They put up with a different Jesus. That word different there. It's a, it's a different of a of another. Uh, it, it's another of the same kind. So it's saying. So we're talking about the same person. But what you're saying is completely different about him. Same historical person. Different teaching about this person. But then he uses a different word. For different. When he speaks of spirit and gospel. It's another of a completely different kind. It's totally different. So, so he's saying there's there's counterfeits, there's pretenders. You got to be careful. There's, there, it's it's going to be you're going to your devotion to Christ is going going to be tested. Counterfeits will abound. Counterfeit gospels they don't they don't come printed with the mark of the beast on them. They they they, they may have very subtle differences, but they can be significant differences. We have to pay careful attention. I mean, we, you know the analogy of counterfeit money, but they don't, counterfeiters don't, aren't successful by using yellow construction paper and purple markers and, you know, drawing that on there and, you know, cutting some face out of Sports Illustrated and then putting it on the front and trying to pass it off as a president. That, 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 that's not going to work. They, they make it, they make it as close to the original as possible. That's how they pass it off. But it's fake. It has zero value. Zero benefit. This is, this is the, the way these pretenders were working. They didn't have horns on their head and, you know, scary faces. They, they were appealing. They were smooth. And what they sound, said seemed to kind of make sense and it. They could, they could argue their way and, but it was fake. How do we how do we test counterfeits? How do we test counterfeit gospels? Well, one question you ask is, what's the source? What's the source? Does it line up with what Jesus said, with what the apostles said? Um, any message contrary to what they preached is a false message. And so, so that's one thing. The source. Second is what's the substance of it? What what is it? What are they saying? You're evaluating what's being communicated. Is is it the message of God's free and unmerited favor without being mixed with works and good deeds? You're asking substance, source. So it's it's going to be just be prepared. You have an enemy. He has emissaries. That, that want nothing more to lead us astray from that simple and pure devotion to Christ. But it's so important that we stay centric as a church. Are, are, let me just ask you are, you, are you a little eccentric? I don't mean in what you wear and what your hobbies are and those kinds of things. But are you a lot eccentric? Are you, are you off-center? Have you strayed from a 
simple, pure devotion to Christ. Maybe you once had it. Maybe you once were there. For whatever reason, you've, you've been drawn away. You're here, you're at church, you're doing stuff. and We may not know it. It may seem like everything's going well, family, and things are cool. But, but you're off center. You know it. Maybe we can see it, but we haven't had the courage and the love to ask you. Uh, what about our church? Are we are we a little eccentric? Have we can we get off off out of balance? We lose the core, that blazing center that should 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 be driving everything that we do. Have we left our first love? I'm not saying we have, I'm, but but could could we be that? Let let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Paul warns the Corinthians. So. I mean, this is part of our praying for our church this weekend as elders. And we're praying that this body would never stray from a simple and pure devotion to Jesus Christ. That there will always be this vibrant, growing, fruit-bearing devotion to Christ that starts in our souls and it overflows into every area of our lives and it spills out onto one another. That's what we want. And we, we, there may be a lot of things we never have as a church, and that's just fine with me. But I want us to always be just pulsating with this love for Jesus Christ. And it's showing up in how we live, how we speak, how we think, how we worship, how we do everything that we do. So this is, this is the core. This is, and this affects everything. This isn't just like some part of your life, well, I need to, I need that part of that piece of the pie in my life to grow. Yeah, it's a little weak, my devotion to Christ. And so I need to kind of boost that up. No, it changes everything. You, maybe you're having troubles in your marriage and that happens because you're both sinners. Time goes by, conflicts are not dealt with, communication becomes nothing and you're just kind of cohabitating. I mean, there are lots of help that, that can be offered. There are books to read. There are seminars to attend. There are do the date nights. And all those are wonderful. And those can be very helpful. Let me tell you, if you as a husband and wife, you, you together resolve, you know, I, I, I want my devotion to Christ to grow. I want to love Him more. I have been united with Him. Betrothed Christ. He's joined Himself to me. And I'm with, I am His and He is mine. And I want to love Him. I want to grow in that knowledge and devotion to Jesus Christ. And you both move towards Christ and grow in that. I'm telling you, it's going to be the sweetest marriage you've ever known. It affects everything. It affects how you think about the future. Some of you are worried. Maybe you're afraid for a job loss. Maybe you're afraid about some move that's upcoming. Maybe you're afraid of going off to college students. Maybe, maybe you're... I don't know what it is. Maybe fearing retirement. That's big change coming for you. And how, how's that going to be? Um, don't let your thoughts drift fear and worry and anxiety. Doesn't It doesn't mean you simply just kind of paste a smile on your face and say, well, God is good. Whatever comes, that's, that's not what we're talking about. But if you maintain this raw, core, simple, pure devotion to Christ, it's going to affect how you think about the unknowns that lie ahead for you and the things that you may be anticipating and they're keeping you up at night. The same's going to just make it all go away, but it's going to change how you face those things. Are we prepared for whatever God has for us as a church? I mean, there's 
been hard things that we're working through and some exciting things, but even those exciting things are, are challenging and they have, you know, tripwires and we're, we're trying to navigate through these. Lots of stuff going on in the body. But together, if we're pursuing Christ and passion and fervency and whatever comes, we can just, we can rejoice that God is going to do wonderful good whatever whatever lies ahead. And so, it changes everything. Uh, just the last appeal I would say to you. Is there someone in the... As Paul, go back to where we began. That godly... Uh, our devotion to Christ is, should be a chief concern for all of us. Uh, for the church. Is, is there somebody that you're jealous for? And deeply concerned for in this church? And afraid for? I don't mean jealous of. We have those people too. And... Uh, but are you? maybe take the church directory. Take the prayer calendar. Just begin to pray. Is there, pray for one another. It's not uh, giving you license to be nosy and pushy and, you know, uh, nasty with one another. But a genuine, loving concern. Are there folks that have kind of drifted to the fringe? Maybe seem to be moving off center. Call someone this week. Set up a time. Ask them for coffee. Eat with them. Have lunch. Now, just because somebody calls you this week doesn't mean don't go get. I don't want you to get panicky here. Uh, <laughs> um, so, but but let's move toward one another again. Just, uh, just in prep, I really would encourage you to make it a priority to be here this next week. And this is what we're talking about. It's out of this love and concern that we all need to have for one another. That we need to walk alongside one another in love, wisdom. Let me pray, Father. I ask God that you would. Help us as a, as a body, as a church, a, a, a whole body and made up of individual members, God, that together, uh, collectively and individually, God, we would not, we would not drift off, off center. That there would be this growing, thriving, simple, pure devotion to Jesus Christ, this body. May it grow more so that next year as we look back we just see your grace at work in this church that we love you more um, we ask in Jesus name amen